0: This is Liz Tinkham and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's just not finished. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Third Act podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jamie Hunt, the master blender. Jamie is the founder of Fast Penny Spirits and an Italian Amaro company based in Seattle. She's one of very few women in the spirits business, but who found early inspiration from her Sicilian grandparents. Jamie's longer career is actually as a digital advertising and marketing specialist, founding a company and leading digital strategy for a large systems integrator and is a partner at Ernst & Young. So Jamie, welcome to Third Act. We're thrilled to have you as the master blender here.
1: Thank you, Liz. I'm I'm thrilled to be
0: here as well. So I love how I well I met had met you a while ago, but I had lost track of you. And so the way you came to this podcast was your wonderful husband wrote me a note after maybe seeing a post on LinkedIn about the podcast and said you'd be a terrific guest. Uh, and, uh, having talked to you since, I, I think you're going to be. So, uh, what a wonderful guy. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't know he did that either. He didn't even <laughs> And it was your, it was <laughs> a seminal birthday for you too, as well. So I, so anyway, happy post birthday. And, uh, again, we're really excited. So you now are a master blender for an Amaro and Italian. Would we call it a spirit or a wine? It, it is a liqueur. So. A liqueur. Okay. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And as a matter of fact, you and I might share a drink as uh, we go through this. But before we get into your third act as the Master blunder, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where'd you go to school? How'd you get into digital advertising and marketing?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I went to school at University of
0: Washington. Oh, go Huskies.
1: Yeah. Um, I double majored in political science and social science. I, I thought I really wanted to become a lawyer um and, and so I, I uh, did my homework I interviewed a bunch of lawyers and decided that that wasn't the path for me the ones that I identified with were no longer in law they were doing the
0: <laughs> sounds like my husband he's a lawyer and all of his friends are no longer lawyers as well he's no longer a lawyer so
1: so I ended up taking a an internship in a marketing department at an insurance company and really enjoyed that experience and uh, got my first taste of digital there where we were doing something crazy back then. We were putting insurance online for the first time so you could subscribe and you can change your benefits and so forth online. And that was a new thing.
0: Um, oh, that's it. That's really interesting because insurance, in my, in my experience, insurance has always lagged in going digital. So good for that company. Was this in the 90s, sort of early 90s, mid 90s? It was
1: in the 90s, yeah. It was uh, late 90s when that was happening.
0: And then you go on to work or found a company? Tell us more about that. I did.
1: Um, I got there though through, and, and this is where I kind of got the digital marketing bug. Is I started at a um, startup, a, a marketing startup called Quick Marketing, and then I could see the Looming, dot com bust hap- that was about to happen, and got recruited to a creative agency, where I really loved the opportunity to solve business problems and connect customers with with brands uh, in a very creative way. And so I uh, caught that bug and I decided I'd go do my own design and, and creative company. Uh, and so I did that for a couple of years. And, and what what company was that? It was called Blue Siren Design.
0: Blue Siren, and how many, was it you and several people or just you, how did that, how did that?
1: We ended up with about 10 people in the end The funny thing is my next move came because I was helping a friend look for a job. Um, (laughs) And and there's this uh, creative agency or digital agency called Ascentium at the time. And um, they instead wanted to, like I sent a note to them and they instead wanted me to come in for an interview.
0: Oh, (laughs) How'd your friend feel about that? <laughs> uh, she, she took it really well. I was a little nervous about Are you about still it. friends? Yeah, we are still
1: friends. Good, good. Oh, boy. Yeah, oh, so boy. I, I absolutely was not going to take the job, Liz. Um, it was not what yeah. I wanted to do. I was on my own. This is what I wanted to do. And then it just became too irresistible. And I uh, decided to close the Blue Siren design and join Ascentium.
0: And, and the type of work you did at Ascentium, again, more digital? More digital work, yep, yep. I, I assume a growing field at that point. Absolutely.
1: And I worked a lot with a, a variety of brands, but one that I, I tended to work the most with was Microsoft, who was right in our backyard.
0: Now, did you, did you meet your husband there? Or tell us a little bit about meeting your wonderful husband, Jason.
1: I did. Yeah. I actually, I became a partner and then later a managing partner. And I had to sign my name on a guarantee for purchasing the company that Jason was from. Um, And so um, I met him through that. We were both managing partners at Ascentium and yeah, and connected that way.
0: And so that company then gets sold to Avenod, which is uh, services, a services company jointly owned between Accenture and Microsoft that does Microsoft services. So when was that? Tell us a little bit about that transition.
1: Boy, when, what year was that? I can't even remember the years. They're all bl- blurring together. But uh, what I decided to do, so Avanad bought our technical side, not the agency side. And I was on the agency side and my husband was on the technical side. And so I decided uh, to take that opportunity to take a year off and go to culinary school. Also, we had a house renovation project, so I figured I could Um, do both, you know, because I didn't want to get bored on my year off.
0: Now, culinary school, was that where your love of flavors, mixes started to come together? Well, you know, it would have been.
1: However, then I found out I was pregnant. And so going to culinary school... Uh, wasn't the best idea um, when you couldn't stand the smell of
0: food for a while. (laughs) I can Um, imagine. So I I
1: didn't go at that time, but I later took the opportunity to go to the CIA in Napa and do a a week-long boot camp, which was super wonderful. I really enjoyed that.
0: Uh, What's the CIA, just for our listeners?
1: Culinary Institute of America.
0: So, and was that cooking and wine tasting or just cooking?
1: Uh, we did a lot of tasting of wine
0: okay. right. <laughs> as right.
1: well as cooking, but it was an intensive cooking class. And there was about 20 or so of us from all walks of life. And uh, yeah, we just got an introduction to what it's like to be a chef.
0: Now, I know you're. Uh, you've mentioned that your grandparents are Italian and that throughout the course of your life, they kind of fostered a love for tastes and flavors uh, take us t- tell us more about that yeah. were you were you drinking spirits early or how did that work
1: absolutely coming from an italian family like there's no age limit on when you can <laughs> sip wine or liqueurs and so my my grandparents and later my parents all made liqueurs and my grandparents made wine but it's all, it was all for for home consumption and for friends and family and so I grew up with those flavors, and really, really loved the, especially the bitter sweet flavors. As I grew older, and so I used to go to Italy and seek out different amaro, because amaro is very regional, and so it's really fun to taste the flavors of the region that you're in through uh, this beautiful liquid. And and what is amaro? It is, um, it literally, Amaro means bitter in Italian. And uh, it's a bittersweet liqueur. It's made with a variety of botanicals, you know, roots and herbs and fruits. And there's oftentimes a lot of citrus peel that's
0: involved. It's, uh, yeah, and, and I know, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the Americano that you have is absolutely delicious, but we'll come back to that. So you're pregnant, you've, you've didn't the smell, I can imagine, because I remember cheese really turning me off when I was pregnant, but you end up at the CIA. And then, but you do go back to digital to, was it back to Ernst & Young?
1: Yeah. So I went to Avanade first and I built out the experience design team first in North America and then globally. And then I started adding more capability and built out the first digital teams in in Avanad, and I got to do that with a variety of partners, including my husband.
0: <laughs> okay, um, interesting. Um,
1: yeah, that. So with that experience, you know, we uh, had to think about where our careers were going within the company, and so I ended up taking a global role, and and started our digital advisory practice, and so built out all the offerings and all the capabilities and so forth.
0: You and Jason were kind of still both at Avanade tracking away and eventually you make the decision to leave. How did, how did you make that decision?
1: You know, I, we just noticed that we just kept bumping into each other Uh, at Avanade. We had a similar career trajectory. And so we thought, you know, one of us should just go (laughs) and do something somewhere else. And so I took the opportunity to take off and find my next adventure, which ended up being EY. And I was excited about EY um, because they were a little further behind in digital. And so I thought here I can make a huge impact all that I've known, all that I uh, learned from my my time throughout the years. And um, to do that for a big four was really exciting.
0: Somewhere in there, you're in the background, you're creating spirits and this, what the side hustle of Fast Penny Spirits starts. When did all that kind of start? Because you were still working full time when when you launched the business, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. So one night, <laughs> as the story goes, one night, uh, my husband and I were uh, having an Amaro after a meal um, over at Rob Roy in Seattle. Mm -hmm.
0: In Seattle, right.
1: And we were wondering, we're talking to the bartender asking about, you know, more American made Amaro. We really hadn't seen a whole lot of it. And uh, so he gave us a taste of a couple of American made ones. And, you know, they were pretty good, but they weren't the same as what I was used to, which was more of that complex Italian style of Amaro. And so a little bug got in my head and I thought, that could be a really cool business to get into. I love it anyway. There's a place in the market. You know, I, sh- I should I should, start an Amaro distillery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Jamie. I mean, I've, I love to shop. I've been in clothing stores and thought, boy, there's a missing piece here, but I've never taken it upon myself to launch something, particularly a spirits company, which frankly, there are very few women in, right? I mean, very few. And so how do you get it going? I mean, how does it work to get a spirits company going in case some of our listeners, and and I know people, I have friends who are interested in doing this. So I think they'll be fascinated by this.
1: Yeah. You know, I had no idea what the first step was to be But what I did start with was was my business plan and opening, you know, getting my license uh, to do business. And I was working on the recipe development. And uh, what I did was I went to this Seattle Made event, and that's where I met a bunch of people that knew more than me (laughs) on what to do. And I met my lawyer, Brian. Defoe. Um, And he was fantastic. He knew so many people. He knew so much about what I was needing to go through. And he really connected me to a lot of people who I then peppered with tons of questions.
0: Is the recipe made at this point? Have you made a bottle of it yet? Or where are you at in the creation process. I'm
1: still in development process. Um, you know, just trying to figure out how to create a complex and balanced tomorrow, um, using both regional flavors and and global flavors. And so that took me over two years to create. And luckily through that lawyer, I met my, someone that would, would become my co-founder, Holly. Uh,
0: Okay. What, what had she been doing and why, why is she, why was she a good co-founder for you?
1: So she had co-founded Captive Spirits, who makes big gin, and her and I just started a conversation. We would meet every couple months, have a drink. I would ask her a ton of questions, and then try to get her to join me. Um, <laughs> and she finally left. She left. Hood, uh, their company was sold to Hood River Distilling. She left. Hood River. And we still kept meeting. And I still kept trying to get her to come join me. And finally, uh, the opportunity came and she said yes. And it was just what we needed to really get going quicker.
0: And so when did you make the decision to make this your full-time gig and not just your side hustle?
1: You know, it really happened during the pandemic, uh, to be honest. Really?
0: Okay, so this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew I wanted to at some point, but I still kept thinking I'd do it as a side hustle and just keep working my digital job. So
0: you're a partner at Ernst & Young, and you have how many children? I have two. Two children who are presumably homeschooling because there's no school in Seattle. Yes. And your husband's working, and you're running the side hustle business, and you thinking you're going to keep all that going. Yeah, crazily enough. That's amazing. No, I just, I know a lot of, I'm just like, ah, that's so amazing. So, all right. So you, you get to the pandemic and stay again, so lightning struck, you decided to. Yeah,
1: I, I decided to leave EY and go full time at uh, Fast Penny. We were just getting ready to do our first launch in July and I made this decision in, in March I think, you know, the one thing the pandemic has many, many problems, but one thing it does do uh, is it really made it clear what was important and kind of the fact that I needed to follow my passion and really put myself into it.
0: And and when you did that, what were your biggest fears of, of leaving your, you know, 20 plus year digital career?
1: Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, will, will we be successful? Will people buy our product? Can we get, a you know, by then we had figured out the recipe. So at least I had that uh, to go on. But we hadn't sold one bottle yet.
0: Uh, oh, golly. Okay.
1: And we were pivoting because uh, originally we were thinking we would go, you know, through distribution, uh, to, through the distribution channels. And that was kind of dried up because many of the distributors didn't don't want to take on new brands during the pandemic. So we had to pivot to a direct to consumer, a shipper. <laughs> so we
0: had to we had to pivot fast. And Holly, what what was her thoughts? Was she like, Jamie, you can continue working or come full-time? I mean, how, how much of an influence was she in making the decision?
1: She was so supportive. Like she was fine. She understood if I needed to continue working or wanted to continue working at EY or, you know, if I came there, she was happy when I decided to come there because she is the only person that was full-time doing all this work. And, you know, I felt bad because I, I could help on lunches and weekends and, you late nights and things like that. So it really threw her schedule kind of out of whack a little bit because that was the time when
0: I had time to to meet. So let's talk a little bit about the name. And uh, I, you have a beautiful website and I've read all of it. And you mentioned that you might have been interested in perhaps your act two and a half as a burlesque dancer. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so that, this is kind of a funny story. We were, uh, some friends and, and us were sitting at uh, Delil Wine Bar in Kirkland. Is this, is this you and Jason? Jason and I, yep. Yep. And we're, we're having wine and my friend says to me, hey, I just signed up for this burlesque class. You should go. And of course, Jason and the others were like, yeah, 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 you should go. And here I was like, oh yeah, like, like an exercise class. That sounds great. Um, And so I I signed up while still at the wine bar. And um, so I signed up and I went there and found out it was really for creating professional burlesque dancers. And I decided to go for it. It seems really scary and I kind of like to do scary things. And so I was like, I'm going to push myself and do this. And I'm so glad I did because it ended up being such an empowering experience and so wonderful. I never thought I would want to be on stage, Liz. Like I never thought I'd want to perform on stage and I loved it. Absolutely loved it.
0: Where, uh, so you took the, you did class and they had you do a performance?
1: Yeah. So I did a series of performances and then I joined the person who talked me into the class. We joined as a duet team and my stage name was Veloce Von Perla and hers was Santine Bijou. And when we would act together or perform together, uh, we would call ourselves Fast Penny, and so, when we were batting around I, ideas for the company that I was going to start, the, a big part of Fast Penny Spirits is empowering women. And I, I felt so empowered in that experience that it just became a natural uh, decision for me to. to are, are, are you still performing? I am not. No, I have no time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so your burlesque career is on hold at this point. I just have to ask, what kind of sparkly outfit did you wear? Oh my
1: God. I I wore so many, so many crystals. I mean, oh we God. became masters at gluing crystals onto
0: The <laughs> Bedazzlers, extraordinaire. Yes, absolutely. We, we, we might have to do a whole episode on that because <laughs> I've never met anybody who did burlesque dancing, but I, I'm sure it was great exercise.
1: Oh, fantastic exercise. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. So uh, having a side hustle, having a new company, having all of that, it just yeah. ended up with no time for burlesque. Uh,
0: well, I love what you said about your company empowering women. So, and I know you give back with 10%, 3% to the community. So talk about what you're planning to do in terms of giving back.
1: Yeah, so we've built into our model a 3% bottle revenue give back much to a lot of advice not to do that
0: <laughs> right now because of you're just starting and you need to balance profitability, yeah. etc. cetera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But my thing was I started this partially because I could do this. This is what I wanted to do. And if I don't build it into the model, you know, I'm afraid it just won't get there. And so, you know, our company takes losses every month because we're a startup. But, you know, that's just a really important thing is to give back to our community and to give back to nonprofits that empower women.
0: And so what kind of I mean, who have you given money to so far? Because you you are out in stores now selling. So I assume you've been able to make some donations.
1: We have. Yeah. So in July, we we donated to Black Girl Ventures. And then in our August, September, October went to Emerge Washington and Emerge Washington helps elect women into office, political office. And now our November, December is Jubilee Women's Center. And so we're excited to be able to write that check in January to uh, them to support them.
0: That is just so terrific. I love the fact that you built it into the model from the beginning, that it's that important because then it... it- it you know will just grow. It's kind of like I, I think Salesforce has done some of the same thing in their their models as well.
1: There's a few other things that we do. Like this month, um, we decided 10% bottle revenue give back to the independent restaurant coalition, and that's because our restaurants and bars are hurting, and so we want to be able to support them, however we can. Um, we do other things to support community too. So we we also host pop ups. So people have another, uh, place to do business and, and, uh, some more exposure to do business with us. And so that's been really wonderful. Just kind of building out that community.
0: And when you talk to your, I assume it's like angel investors slash friends and family about putting money into fast penny. I mean, how do you, how do you explain that part of it to them?
1: I tell them it's uh, <laughs> there's no question we're doing this, and so you have to be supportive of the give back because we're always going to have it, um, and we'll give back in other ways whenever we can. And you know, not only do our investors support it, they're I mean, they're really really excited about it oh, and want to hear. better so we can give more.
0: We talked a little bit about lack of women and spirits in the industry? Why, why is that? And what's it like being a woman in the spirits industry?
1: So it's interesting. If you look historically, women, much like chefs, women were the distillers, the cider makers, the brewers, um, and such in, in our history. And then once the industrial revolution hit and it became more big business, men took over. And I, I see like the distilling business kind of a lot aligned to to what's happening in the in the restaurant business with the sh- chefs and, and more mm-hmm. women chefs getting into a place of nor- notoriety and getting more of that support. I think that's happening in the distilling industry as well. There's lots of wonderful groups uh, out there that support women in distilling and. You know, my experience, yes, it's male dominated, that can make it tough at times. But um, my experience has been one of a lot of support, I can pretty much call up and I do. I call up different distillers and ask them a variety of questions. Like we're looking at a forklift right now. And so I called (laughs) a distillery, they don't know me from anyone. And I called them up and said, how do you like your forklift? You know.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's a little bit different than digital advertising. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Oh, how do you like your forklift? Um, So as you think about, so now your your work-life balance, everything is completely changed. So this third act, and who knows, you may have four or five acts. How do you look at your life differently in terms of family, time off, work-life balance? I mean, you were balancing a huge amount before, but it seems to me you're as busy, if not busier.
1: Absolutely. I have to remind myself, I've been so programmed um, for over 25 years of like, get up at 6.30 in the morning, get online, you know, get to work. And so I have to remember that I don't necessarily have to go that route. Um, Because what happens is I get inspired to do things at different times of the day. And that's always been true. But now, I think I should be able to do that work at that time of the day, rather than thinking like feeling guilty because I'm not doing it at eight in the morning.
0: So you're, so you're thinking your the paradigm of the hours of the day has changed entirely.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think that way because it should be, it should be that way. And in my opinion, um, being in, in this business, you know, there's certain hours that you'd need to be around, but there's others that, that you don't. And quite frankly, I, as you said, like I'm working seven days a week, yeah. just the way that I choose to spend my time um, making time for family, making time for fun things. I do that too. Um, that's a really important
0: piece. So your business kicked off, you launched this year, you're in several different store locations doing uh, D2C as well, direct to consumer. Where, where's your business heading? Where, what, you know, where do you see it in a couple of years?
1: Oh gosh, really want to make our mark on uh, America and get our um, liquid out to as many people as possible. But we're focused right now on the West Coast. Uh, so we just sold some of our first bottles to Oregon. Great. And, uh, and we just signed with a distributor in California.
0: So if people want to find out how to buy Fast Penny Spirits and, and the, the Amaro is Americano, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's Amaricano and Amaricano Bianca is our light version, our white version.
0: And you can go to fastpennyspirits.com and there's a location uh, tab up there to look at it. You also, I I can't say enough about your website. It's absolutely stunning. The visuals are gorgeous. There's a lot of other information on there about some of the pop-ups and groups that you're supporting. So I encourage our listeners to take a look at it and we'll definitely put it in the show notes. So, but I always love to finish with, I like to think I'm not done yet, which is probably why I'm doing this podcast. And so what aren't you done with yet?
1: I'm not done with making an impact on the world. Oh, wow. Say more. Yeah. So whatever way it is, whether it's through doing our givebacks and things with Fast Penny, whether it's mentoring women or uh, others, like that's a really important part of who I am. And I feel like I'm never going to be done with that.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for joining us on 3rd Act. As I said, you can find the store locations and more information about the Amaro on fastpennyspirits.com. Jamie and I are going to take pause here and have a couple drinks. And uh, we look to have you back in a couple years after this is uh, nationwide. Thanks, Jamie.
1: Thank you, Liz.
0: Thanks for joining me today to listen to the 3rd Act podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.